The New World Sonata. Event. Circa 3056 CAE. History of the Strata. The first song of Ether performed by the Chosen. The Union of Ether speculated to have created Terrasol, the Third Stratum, and the Chorus of Espers. Chapter 1, A Ghost Story Ranger's Log, Entry 42, Suyobi and Mottenforth, 4018 CAE I suppose someday you will find this, where we are now, what we are now. I'm sure someday you will ask how it all got to this point. I just hope that when you listen to this, You will feel ease instead of pain. You will think of the journey, not the end. I hope you'll remember Halcyon, the vistas of Antilla, the Eighth Willow. I hope that when you hear this, we will still have time to make a choice. I remember the night before, clear as day. To be fair, it was quite a special one in its own right, even amidst everything that's happened. I was on guide duty, chaperoning a group of kids out experiencing the Halcyon forests for the first time. Dinus, Bo, Everett, and Saren. They were a rowdy bunch, but sweet, all in their own ways. You would have liked them. They were a pretty creative crew, entertaining themselves while I was setting up camp. They found logs and sticks to piece together and propped them up like figurines of heroes and villains, playing out the eternal tales of adversity and triumph in the clearings of the forest with a sort of innocence not so different from what we had. You know that I'm usually all for horseplay. I'm a field ranger, after all. But that evening, my head was just throbbing for some odd reason. Not out of sleep again, I suppose. It was just so hard to focus my thoughts, even conjuring basic levitation to pitch the tents became a real struggle with all the hooping and hollering in the background. Anyway, I'll stop my griping. It's too early for that. I don't want to give off the impression that I wasn't a fan of those children. The kids were great, really. I adore them. When I finished setting up camp, they had moved on to playing who can make the biggest splash by levitating boulders and dropping them into the water hole. I stopped them mid-game and had them sit their butts down for a good meal around the campfire. Little monsters always seem to forget how much they exert themselves when they use their cantra. Always so eager to throw their blooming pubescent telekinesis around until they're suddenly pooped. Before you know it, it's dark and stomachs start growling when there's no light out to absorb. Well, we ended up making kebabs, overcooked some, charred some others, and lit some on fire. Yep, the real joys of camping. It was over supper when Dinus asked me to tell the group a scary story. Miss Ranger Fay, will you tell us stories about the creatures you've seen in the forest? I bet there's gnarly stuff up there. I bet you've even seen a sphinx, haven't you? It was innocent enough of an ask, 
but he wasn't getting any points from yours truly with vain formalities. If you're going to suck up, at least put some effort in it and make the address Miss Persephone. Of course, Dinas couldn't be bothered to think twice. He continued, I heard sphinxes can smell fear. I bet one's going to smell Everett and eat his ass. His attempts to look tough in front of Bo were so futile, it was actually kind of cute. Too bad little Everett had to suffer the brunt of his bluster. That poor kid looked like he was physically shrinking from the comment. He never took too well to trash talk. Then you've got Fiery Saren, who immediately jumped down Dinas's throat in Everett's defense, always ready to pick a fight. The whole situation worked just fine for Bo, watching from the end of the row, giggling her sly, flirty laugh while biting her hair. What a bunch of dweebs. Remember when we were all just like that? After a few more asshats and pissheads, I told them to cool it, and somehow the group got around to agreeing that story time around the fire was a good idea. I guess that's what I get for being the peacekeeper. I've been reduced to catering to our next generation's every need and whim, fostering them so they're well-equipped to take on the noble mantle of the espers and continue to bring prosperity throughout the strata. May they make all of Terrasol proud. Okay, yeah, I was a little bitter about being put on the spot. I mean, come on, when have I ever been any good at telling stories? All I was thinking was, how completely crushed will my soul be if I fail at scaring some prepubescent teens? Stars save me now. Well, I ended up caving, of course. How could I turn down a challenge as stupid, nonsensical, and inconsequential as this? And when eight expectant googly eyes are staring at you from across the fire, you already know it's past the point of return. So, despite my killer headache, I did my best to put together my thoughts. I stared into the campfire for what must have felt like ages to the kids, watching their impressionable little mugs staring back impatiently from behind the flames. Okay, this part... This part is more difficult. Look, I know this is going to sound rehearsed, but I swear, everything I told them, I thought of then and there. I know it's hard for you to believe, probably even harder to understand, but, well, they say you write what you know. I cleared my throat and started my story. I drew an image in the fire. A girl, tall, confident, beaming, with a head of full, frizzy hair. You know her. I told them about this girl. Brave, talented, kind, full of potential, lucky. She was precious to her family and loved by her friends. She was at the top of her class, the jewel of the academy. Her instructors adored her and her peers admired her. I told them about her special, closest friend. About the careless days the two shared. About the two of them growing up together, learning the texture of the world side by side in the fields outside of town. How they tangled, how they meshed, how they intertwined. How they kept each other's secrets tucked and locked away in each other's lips. Don't worry, I didn't go into details. The kids were looking squeamish, so I eased back on my poetic license. I did wonder, though, just for old time's sake, what would you have said about those two if you were there on that night? Would you have remembered? Have you forgotten me? I told them about how it began. For all the blessings the frizzy-haired girl had, she was cursed, haunted by a voice in her head, a droning whisper that would echo to her constantly, Have you forgotten me? 
She had always heard this whisper for as long as she could remember. She was unsure of who it was, what it was, but she was sure that the voice was not her own. Everywhere she went, everywhere she stayed, the voice was always with her, coming to her in her moments alone. Have you forgotten me? Never ceasing, never resting, never allowing her to let her guard down. But her special friend, she made the voice go away. When they were together, the looming whisper had no place. She was her cure, her panacea. Anxiety, insecurity, the pressure and weight of the world, none of it mattered. With her around, she forgot all her troubles. It seemed meant to be. It felt like it would be forever. But after a while, it didn't work anymore. Something returned, something familiar and unwanted. It wasn't forever. It wasn't enough. She wasn't enough. Even with her around, the voice was not afraid. It echoed slowly, quietly, calling out from nothing. Have you forgotten me? It grew louder and louder in her head until there was no ignoring it any longer. Have you forgotten me? It droned. The girl was confused, frustrated, desperate. She didn't know what to do. Have you forgotten me? Her friend watched as it followed her, haunted her, consumed her, powerless to stop the changes. Bit by bit, she watched the distance between them grow. Her friend couldn't remember what exactly started first. The girl's days of missing class, the rumors of her being spotted by herself in narrow alleys, on rooftops, under bridges, or her silence, her coldness, her sudden absence from their evenings in the parks, meetings at the diner, walks along the lake, her withdrawal from the usual proceedings of life altogether. Her friend couldn't reach her. When she was home, she locked herself away. When she wasn't home, she was nowhere to be found. Before long, the girl's special friend, well, used to be special friend, got a visit from her parents. The girl had not come home for days. She must have run away, they told her. Why would she run away? Run away from the people who love her, they asked in panic. Her friend had nothing to say. She felt useless, unable to console them, unable to reach her closest friend, unable to ease her own fears. Several more days passed. The girl's parents grieved. They prayed to the chorus, prayed that their daughter would return. The town heeded the plea. The community was put on alert. Search parties were formed. News spread quickly. But the girl didn't come back. The girl was nowhere to be found. People started asking questions. Why would she disappear? Why would she hide? Was there something wrong in the family? Who were her friends? What did they know? She had such high marks at the academy. What went wrong? So much potential. Was it all squandered? The special friend, the faithful friend, knew the answer, of course. It was the voice, the whisper, the echo. The voice inside had led her away, drove her to some other place. But that voice was their secret, and it was a secret she kept. Weeks passed. More rumors spread. A warden said his hair dogs would not stop barking through the nights. A farmer found mandrakes uprooted and splayed on the side of a road, still shrieking from their dismemberments. People prayed through their cantras, seeking guidance from the unfaltering chorus. But the chorus gave no answers. 
More incidents disturbed the town. A ranger reported birds, dead by the flock, scattered and covering twisted roots and trees in the woods on the outskirts of town. A group of schoolchildren said they saw a sphinx perched on the fences behind the academy with the face of a young woman, the face of the missing girl. The girl remained nowhere to be found. The townsfolk had no luck. More rumors spread. Some people said the girl had become a ghost, a demon. Some said she was the spirit of vengeance, returning to seek retribution for some dark, forgotten chapter in the town's past. No one agreed. Everyone was weary. Fear spread like a fever of superstitions. Again, the townsfolk questioned her friends, her family, any schoolmates that knew her at the academy. What did they know about her? What had gone wrong? No leads, no answers. More dead animals continued to appear around town, causes of death unexplained. The stress took its toll on the town. Parents stopped letting their children out after school. People gave slighting glances. People avoided each other. People stayed home. People were careful, cautious, watchful. Still, the faithful friend said nothing. She kept her promise. Then, one afternoon, walking home from the academy, the faithful friend heard something as she passed an alley, as if a voice whispered to her from behind. Have you forgotten me? She turned immediately, prepared, but there was nothing but wind behind her. She knew what she had to do. They say fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. That day, the faithful friend waited till sundown. Then she walked, walked slowly out of town. Out through the park, through the fields where she had spent countless days with another. She traced her steps around the lake, staring at its cerulean stillness, seeing only one reflection staring back. She walked past the lake, down a path of overturned stones, through a thicket of ferns. She walked into the woods, alone. She stepped over roots, parted vines, skipped puddles. She noticed the mulch feeling denser beneath her feet. The branches above her contorting more and more intricately, the chirps of animals changing to an unfamiliar rhythm. She kept walking. The air dampened, the sky shifted to a hue of lavender, and haze shrouded the last rays of light from the late evening sun. She continued on, the glistening of the lake and the reflections of the town behind her out of sight. She came upon an awning of rock protruding out from a base of a thick, uprooted tree half eviscerated from the soil. She gazed upon the unnatural formation, preparing herself for what awaited her below. Step by step, she felt her way down the wedge, slowly shuffling her feet through the wet gravel into a drizzly cave. Her breath, suddenly cold, echoed off the damp, narrow walls. The cave echoed back, as if answering her. Have you forgotten me? Then she saw her. The girl, sitting at the bottom of the quarry, gazing up a delicate column of light, particles of mist flickering around her. She was as beautiful as ever in the strange violet glow. All of those rumors, they were all lies after all. In front of her wasn't a ghoul or a fiend, just a girl. Tall, eyes beaming with confidence. Full locks of the same dark, frizzy hair as she remembered. The friend hesitated. Then she spoke. This is enough, she said. I haven't forgotten you. I can't forget you. I won't forget you. Come.
Come with me. Let's go back. It's time to go back. The girl turned her gaze to her estranged friend, her face ethereal under the rays of light strobing through the cave. You will, she said. You will forget. And I will move on. Move on to where? Where are you going? Where have you been? Was all that back there? All that back in town? Was that really you? Desperation seized her breath. The girl glanced away, her expression shrouded from the illumination. Down the cave, footsteps started to pick up. Splash, splash, splash. Something else was coming, but the girl gave it no mind. Her voice was clear with solemnity. Move forward, not back, my friend. It doesn't have to be this way, the friend pleaded. We can choose. We have a choice. The girl looked up towards the opening of the quarry again. Splash, splash, splash. The thing was approaching. It was there. For just a moment, the friend turned around and saw behind her a dark figure, stalking on four slender legs, approached from the shadows. It was a beast. Its back arched, its coat black as emptiness, with the face of a woman. A sphinx. The girl smiled slightly, and she didn't look back. I've made my choice, she muttered. The chamber bellowed as vines and roots tore through the cave. A lavender aurora from above streaked violently down the quarry. Gravity failed. Everything collapsed, but all in the wrong direction. The friend sprinted towards the girl, but before she could stretch out her hand, she felt herself flung from her feet. The sky and the earth spun and blurred. Gusts of wind howled around her as if wailing in pain. From the corner of her eye, she spotted the quarry, suddenly far off in the distance. A burst of light, blinding and deafening, enveloped her senses. She felt herself falling into a vacuum, lacking orientation, opening her eyes to white nothingness. She saw an afterimage, in the shape of the friend she knew, burning in the twilight. Then the vision was gone, and she felt nothing but sharp pain, heard numbing noise. She saw dirt, sky, dirt, sky, blood. The edges of her vision began to fray, her senses dissolved, and the world faded to black. I looked up from the cinders and saw four pairs of wide, incredulous eyes staring back at me. I cleared my throat again. She woke up in the infirmary. She was quickly greeted by the doctors when she came to. She glanced about. She had nothing hugged up to her. She didn't see or feel any wounds other than a few scrapes on her knees. A doctor spoke before she could collect her thoughts into a question. You've been out for a while now. Glad you're back. What happened to her? She stuttered. It was the only thing she could think of to ask. Who? The doctor looked bewildered. A crowd of concerned eyes stared from behind him. She quickly reeled herself back in. Um, the, the missing girl. I'm just wondering, I don't know how long I've been out, and I'm, I'm just wondering because I'm, I'm scared if it's still going on. The doctor sighed. The eyes turned away. <sighs> oh, the nutcase. We found the missing girl a few kilometers out from the southwestern city limits. There were signs of a struggle with the indigenous mandrake population. Unfortunately, when the search party got there, there were only remains. We raised the surrounding woodland to ensure nothing escaped. So whatever attacked her, it's gone. 
It's all over. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. So, the missing girl, she's... dead? The doctor looked concerned. The eyes turned back. Dead? There's no question. No one survives an inversion vortex like that. We closed off the area of impact. The surrounding forest was irradiated down to the soil. As for the mandrakes, they were probably just acting out of self-preservation, given the disturbances that child left around town. Still, it was unexpected and unacceptable that a local colony would show hostility towards a human. The doctor took another weary look at her. I think you need to get some more rest. You still seem a bit out of it. The eyes stopped staring. The crowd went back about their things. A few days later, she left the infirmary. A few weeks later, she was diagnosed and committed into rehabilitation. A funeral was held for the long-gone girl. Months passed. The friend was released. She went back to the academy. Years went by. The world moved on. But for the faithful friend... She lived with the memory of the cave, a memory she kept secret, a secret she kept sacred. She continued silently on, always carrying a voice inside her, and for as long as she lived, it echoed on. Have you forgotten me? I faded out the images in the fire. At this point, I saw a couple of jaws hanging wide open. I chuckled and tried to lighten the mood. <laughs> Don't worry, story time's over. <laughs> Looks like I got y'all's shiver bones, I said. Of course, Dinus was the first to speak up. I knew it. It was Sphinxes. The Sphinxes always got something to do with it. Before Saren could correct him on his theory, I cut the discussion short and pushed the youngins to bed. After they were all tucked away in their tents, I sat back down at the fire. As the flames crackled and popped, I thought of our own camping trips when we were children. I thought of Caleb, Leland, and you. It all felt so long ago, like a different life. So distant, but at the same time so close, so familiar. The kids, the bonfire, the night sky littered with the star isles of Terrasol. Sometimes the more I think about it, the more it feels like the same stories keep repeating themselves. Then. Just as I was about to turn in, I received the call. New World Sonata is written by Eugene Zoe and produced by Karsten Otto. The voice of Faye Persephone is Serena Berman. Sound design is by Ryla Kay and Luke Santi. Narration by Abby All. Visit our show notes for links to more of our voice actors and sound designers' work. Subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Facebook, and YouTube. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to spread the chorus. If you would like to support New World Sonata, you can find us on Patreon. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, take care. And may the Davis watch over you.